Suddenly, I was not spending every day thinking about food, hunger, points, calories, macros, how much I could work out. All that time and energy that I had spent years and years and years of my life on was suddenly like mine again. And then it was like, what do I do with all this time and energy and brain power? I like to say that fasting clears the noise because for me, there's no noise. I just fast. And then it's like this whole other world opened up to me. And I really started working on a lot of emotional healing, a gratitude practice. I just can't even tell you, like that one decision to intermittent fast, it helped me with my weight problem, but it improved my life in just so many countless ways that I never ever expected. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bette Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids, I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly, the world needs you. So before this interview got started today, I was telling Sherry that I was so looking forward to today because not that I don't look forward to some of my other guests and not that I don't get excited, but there is something about Sherry, just who she is living so authentically. And what's so fun about today is that I feel like we're going to talk, yeah, we're going to talk about intermittent fasting and her journey. We're going to talk about some other areas though of her life too. And I just know that you all are going to walk away from this. Kind of how I was thinking of this interview, like kind of a breath of fresh air. And that is what I think Sherry is. So Sherry, thank you for joining us today. And thanks for just making the time to share with us about your journey. Oh, you're so welcome. And actually, you just brought tears to my eyes. Don't make me cry when we're just opening up here. But uh, (laughs) that's one of my favorite things about you is that I have this tenderness for people that feel their feelings. And every time you've started crying, I feel like I'm like, oh, no, I'm crying, Sherry, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I've ever been called a breath of fresh air in my entire life. Well, amen. Now you have been and now you know. Now you know what what we were all looking forward to today. So, Sherry, I was trying to think, where are we even going to start? And sometimes I think it's corny when I'm always, you know, I don't always want to be like, oh, tell us, you know, tell us about you. But there were so many spots to start. I was like, oh, we could have her share about you know, your teen pregnancy. We could have her share about her career, her podcast, her divorce journey, or your intermittent fasting. And I guess, Sherry, where do you want to start today? And let's just start learning a little bit about your journey and we'll go from there. Well, I think my journey started probably in seventh grade. And I don't know why it feels like that's the start of my life, but it does in some way because um, 
I feel like my entire life has been somehow shaped around my body image and my weight and my diet journey and my health journey. And that started really at, I mean, I could go back to being about an eight or nine year old. And I remember sitting on the floor at school and all the little girls were sitting there. We were watching a movie or something. You know how little girls sit on their knees? Mm Mm-hmm. And I looked over at my friends and they're sitting on their knees and I was sitting on my knees and they had these skinny little legs and skinny little knees. And I had that little like fat bulge on the side of my knees. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember thinking my legs don't look like their legs. And that was the first, that's the first thought I have about like my body or weight in a negative manner. And then fast forward to seventh grade and I started an after school Weight Watchers program that was done at the school in a counseling office with maybe eight or nine other girls. And um, every, I feel like every moment in my life, I can look back and I can pick out a year of my life based off what I was doing with my weight at that point or how I felt about myself at that point. Can I just, before you keep going, that seventh grade Sherry that, what do you think the world, your family, those around you could have done differently? Well, I have mixed feelings about all of that, okay? One, I look back, you know, I was always the big the big sister. I was the middle child, but my older brother um, was born with congenital heart and lung problems. And so he was just always a smaller kid. But he also, my sister, who's younger than me, they have the same body type, the same build. They um, were both very sort of thin. What's the word? I, like I would describe petite. my sister they're as fine. having, well, they're, but I would never call my sister petite. She's six one. Okay. Um, like almost like she's spring. a waif. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, very just fine bone structures, mm-hmm. um, kind of bony, um, not a lot of muscle. Lanky. And yes. Lanky. Um, where me, I'm that um, I'm also tall. I'm a, you know, five, nine and a half, five, ten. But I'm sturdy. I'm muscular. I'm more of an athletic build. And so um, I, you know, f- my entire life, my, my brother bless his heart. He's passed away, but he would talk about my tree trunk legs. And, um, you know, his, his, his legs were smaller than my arms. And so I had this idea in my head that I was obese. And uh, my, my sister could sit there at the dinner table and she was a vegetarian from a very young age. And um, so she would just fill up on bread and butter and honey. That's what she would eat for dinner, bread and buddy, butter and honey. And I would reach for like a slice of bread. And my dad would say, you don't need that. You don't need that bread. Put that down. Um, My mother was always very focused on her weight. And um, she would tell me that I didn't have good genes, that I was going to be fat if I didn't watch myself. Um, I I remember eating a frozen burrito after school one day. And my dad said, if you don't stop eating those, you're going to be as round as a burrito. So there were just always comments about my weight and my size. Now, looking back as an adult in the last few years, my parents sent me a bunch of pictures from my childhood um, with my siblings and I. And I look back at that. And as an adult now, with a healthy mindset about weight and body, I was not, I was not fat kid at all. Mm-hmm. I, I was a big kid, but I was not fat. And the funniest thing about going to Weight Watchers 
is I was like five, six and a half in seventh grade. And when I started, I weighed 142 pounds and they told me I needed to weigh 118. And I did the program, worked the program, lost the weight, got down to about 123 pounds and I could not stay well. I kept getting sick. My mom took me to the doctor and he said, she's malnourished. She's underweight. What is she doing? Feed her. Yeah, feed her. (laughs) And my mom said, oh no, she's not at her goal weight yet. And I was like, I have to lose five more pounds so I can get my, back then you got a key from Weight Watchers. You got your lifetime key. And I was like, no, I have to lose five more pounds so I can get my lifetime key. And he said, oh no. And he wrote a, a letter to Weight Watchers saying that my new goal weight was 135. So at most I needed to drop five, six, seven pounds. I was very athletic. I played a lot of sports and, um, it's really funny. I looked back, I saw one picture from that era and I was so frail looking. I didn't look well, but I was being praised for losing all this weight and being skinny finally. At the same time, on the flip side, um, being a person who, I mean, I do have a propensity to gain weight. I learned so much about healthy food choices by doing that at a young age. I I knew so much more about nutrition as a high schooler and a young adult than any of my friends did. So, I mean, it had its pros and it definitely had its cons. Right. Does it make you kind of shock you now to think back that like you started that in Weight Watchers in seventh grade? Does that feel really young to you? Um, It does feel really young to me. You know, I think, I think my parents made the best choice they knew to make at that time. Um, I do think that perhaps there was too much of a focus on my size and my body um, that should not have been there. It's there's so many like kind of mixed feelings with it. I remember like never feeling like I was pretty or worthy or um, even as I got older, desirable Mm -hmm. Um, because my sister was the blonde haired, blue eyed, cute, tiny one. And I was the dark haired, dark skinned, dark eyed big girl because that's what I would get called all the time. Oh, you're a big girl. Um, And it takes a lot of deprogramming to get that out of your head. Yeah, you hear that a lot from people when they lose weight is that they can't, they like still see themselves as like the big person. And it seems like the more people I talk to, especially ones who have been on a weight loss journey, it takes years for them oh. to still, and they still mm-hmm. at times will be like, the, like you know, I, I had the one say she bought a size and she just couldn't almost buy it because she was like, that can't be me. That can't be, you know. Or worse, there's me. Yeah. <clears throat> and I don't go shopping. Like I live in a very small town and I'm not a shopper. So I order a lot of stuff online and I still, to this day, I'll even look at the, the, the um, size charts and I know my measurements and I think that can't be right. There's no way I can wear that size. And I always order my clothes too big. And then I'm always shocked when I put them on and they're just swimming on me. And <laughs> I'm always like, when will I learn that I'm not a size large anymore? But I mean, I'm six years into my intermittent fasting journey. I've been at goal weight for five and a half years. And in my head, I'm still a large person. I really appreciate how you recognized that 
it wasn't all negative. Some of the things, you know, that it, that your parents were doing the best that they knew how. And let's all be honest, there was more focus and attention on that. It it seems in years past, you know, if I talk to my mom about comments that were made by her mom or, Mm -hmm. you know, even I just feel like as a parent too, you want the best for your child. You're trying to help them and you're trying to give them the tools to be successful on whatever path they're on. And it's so interesting to think what we're doing that, you know, we're doing the best we know how and your parents were doing the best that they knew how. At the same time, there was good and bad that came out of that or, you know, plus and minuses. But I find it interesting how that so shaped you then on your your journey forward. So so keep going on that journey. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that you say that it shaped me. It really did shape me. Um, you know, I said that <clears throat> I, I, because of my body, uh, you know, my, my brothers and sisters used to tell me I was adopted all the time mm-hmm. because I didn't look like them. I never felt like I belonged. Um, it's, a, it's a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. to be in a family of five and not feel like you belong. Personality-wise, I've always been more bold, more outspoken. I'm going to rock the boat. <clears throat> you don't do that in my family. Um, so I never felt like I belonged. I never really, um, you know, my sister was the baby. Um, she had some learning issues. As an adult, I can look back now and see this. You know, she had some learning issues. My brother had health problems. He had some learning issues. I was the, you know, honor roll gifted student in the middle. And therefore, I was always um, very independent. I just did my own thing. And, um, you know, I worked multiple jobs from the age of 12. And I kind of was just living my own life in hindsight. And um, I think my parents probably were like, she's got this, right? Mm -hmm. But to me, it felt like nobody was paying attention. And so um, because I was so independent and because I didn't really think anybody cared anyway, I was, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say I was a wild teenager by any stretch of the imagination. (laughs) I never did drugs. You know, I was like very, um, I was very focused on my future. Like I've got to get through high school. I've got to get out. I've got to start my life. I've got to, you know, get my, I was focused on moving out of my parents' house from the age of 15 or 16. Because I already felt like an independent adult, so I just needed to make that step. And I did move out of my parents' house uh, before I ever turned 18 and then um, quickly was pregnant with my daughter while I was barely 18. And um, I don't know that I've ever really said this out loud, so your um, audience is probably the first one to hear this. Um, I don't know if anybody knows this, honestly. I actually got pregnant with my daughter on purpose. I mean, like I wasn't setting out to get pregnant, but I wasn't setting out not to get pregnant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, oh, well, you know, if I have a baby, then that was, to my mind, that's just what I did. I was now an adult. I'm going to have a family. And if I didn't ever feel like I had a family, so I was going to make my own family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I was going to have my own child to love and I was going to have a child love me back. And um, it's not a good idea 
to have a child when you're 18. <laughs> I don't I don't regret it at all, but it makes life hard. Yes, it's hard. Yeah, you you really are starting out in um in a deficit when you're 18 with no education and a child. So, um yeah, I mean I floundered for a couple of years. I was just very much in survival mode. It was, um, you know, work as much as I can to take care of myself and my baby. And then I finally made the decision to go um, back to school when I was 20. It, actually, I have to thank my mother for that. What she said was awful, but it was the uh, motivation I needed to make some changes in my life. Um, what did she say? She said, when you got pregnant, you told me it didn't mean that you were going to become a loser. And that's exactly what you've become. Oof. Ouch. And I'm very much a I'll show you person. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? Okay. Um, well, I'll show you. And um, so that's when I went back to school and um, I started my career in healthcare. You know, it's interesting that you watch a movie or you hear from somebody and a lot of them have a moment like that where they will receive words that aren't maybe very kind, and yet for some personalities, they work to their benefit. Like it, 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 it propelled you, even though it probably hurt more than anything to hear that. Oh, it devastated me to hear that. Yeah. But I was, like I said, I was going through the motions. I was just work, work, working, working. I mean, I was managing a dry cleaners and not hardly making anything, spending most of my money on daycare. It it really gave me that like push I needed to to step out of, I wouldn't even call it a comfort zone because it wasn't very comfortable, but <laughs> to to make me really go, okay this is what I'm doing. This is what I've been doing for two years now. Now what? Do you ever see that quote? It says, I had to make you uncomfortable or you would have never moved. And it's, it's God. It says, you know, it's like, it's God saying that. But what you said is so right. You were going through the motions and just surviving. Like you were just trying to pay your daycare bills, get through each and every day. And you probably, it just probably felt like you're on that, like that conveyor belt, like you mm -hmm. can't get off. But yep, I, I I really needed that push. Yeah, to to really make me make a move. Um, I I actually posted a quote today, and it's when you become uncomfortable with uncertainty, infinite possibilities open up in your life. And even though I wasn't in a comfortable place, I didn't know what was beyond that place. And I really just had to take a leap. And when I um, signed up for the um, healthcare program that I signed up for, um, the education program that I signed up for, I was like, I don't even know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'll be good at this. I don't like, you know, I got so lucky. I lucked into a career that fits my personality it, it's still interesting to me 27 years later. I, I'm a weirdo, I guess, because I go, I mean, you know, I work with all these other people in the ER and they're just like, oh, I hate my job. I'm going to reach, I want to retire and they're 40, you know, and I'm just like, I can't imagine what I would do if I didn't do my job. Wow. So, well, my, my first life goal was to be a paramedic, but I knew I couldn't do that with a small child. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's just not conducive, the hours and stuff. So, um, you know, even in my 30s, I was like, maybe I'll go back to school and be a paramedic. I, I like that idea of just showing up at the at the scene and taking charge. And, you know, like that's, I don't know, that's exciting to me. But <laughs> that's a gift, though. That's a gift because so much of your personality and how you described yourself that makes sense to me. You know, you are capable. Do you ever think back to, you know, 18-year-old Sherry and, you know, what would you tell her? What would you say to her now? Oh, gosh. Um, I think I would tell her that she was exceptional, mm-hmm. that she was not flawed, um, that she was loved. But love looks different. And being a parent now, uh, the way I love my kids and the way I show love to them is completely different because they're different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know enough now to know that, um, you know, generational trauma is a thing. And um, my mother did not grow up in a healthy home. Mm-hmm. And um, she was doing the best she could as a parent, but that was coming through the lens of a person who had grown up in a very dysfunctional household. She kind of was doing what she thought she should do, but maybe she really wasn't aware that there are other ways to do things. Does that make sense? That makes complete sense. I think there's a magical moment that we don't, Maybe everyone doesn't experience, but that moment where you stop expecting someone to be someone who they're not, and you stop being bitter about how they should have been, and you say, Mom, that was the best you knew how to be. Like that's you and I and that's a pretty amazing moment. And I've had adults in my life that I knew they were doing the best they could. And even though I wanted more from them, I wanted maybe more touch or more love or more understanding of who the person I was. And yet at some point there was this gift that was given to me that was saying in my ear, saying, but bet they are, they're loving you and doing the best that they know how. They're loving you how they know how. It's it's a really interesting, I don't know if it's just a moment, but it's a really interesting. It's a mind shift. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't have that mind shift until, <clears throat> I mean, goodness, when I got divorced several years ago, I had to just step away from everything. My family, my friends, I was coming out of a very toxic um, relationship there were just so, there was so much misinformation and lies and blame and guilt and all of that. Anybody who's been married or in a relationship with a narcissist will know that you're never going to win, (laughs) right? So I had to just wave the white flag and walk away. I was very, 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 very bitter and angry that my family chose him Mm -hmm. because what they were choosing were lies, but they couldn't see it. Now, it took time and distance and healing on my part to see that <laughs> I was manipulated for many, many, many years. I, I, I realized it. I came to the understanding through counseling and this and that. 
of what was happening. They didn't have my knowledge. So again, they were making the choice that they felt like they had to make with the information they had. And um, I just, I had to just let it go. I had to just forgive them and say, okay, you know, that was the choice they made. I can either live angry with them and continue to hold them at a distance, or I can forgive them and just move on. And I had to make, I just had to make that choice. I don't want to live bitter and angry. A lot of times what people don't realize is when they don't forgive, it doesn't really hurt the other person, right? Well, a, a very good friend of mine taught me that. Yeah. She, she, did, she did. She said, Sherry, you're not, you're not punishing them. You're punishing yourself. Yeah. It made me angry when she said that. Right, <laughs> I was right. like, like, hey, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> why? I was stuck in that. Why should I forgive? I didn't do anything wrong. Right. And then I realized like, but I was the one that was suffering. That's a, that's a whole nother podcast. Oh, like, sure. I really want to do one on the topic of forgiveness. forgiveness. And mm -hmm. It's also become easier for me to forgive people as I get older because I realize I'm more in touch with my imperfections. Exactly. I'm more in touch with the humanity of, of who I am and that I think when I was young, ironically, I thought I was really good. Like I thought I was, you know, mostly a good person and a nice person. And sure, I, I was, but I also, it wasn't, it was like I wasn't aware or very self-aware of my imperfections as well. Right. And that when you're when you're have that mindset then it's it's easy to hold grudges or to not forgive because i think you're like you see yourself as well i wouldn't do that or i wouldn't mess up like that or i would never hurt someone like that and i've just found that every year of my life you know i'm humbled to say you know what i am going to take the plank out of my my own eye because uh, I do live in a glass house and I do do a lot wrong. And sure, you know, I think your instance is a little bit different where you you did have some pretty severe hurt there. But I find that that's been a really interesting part of my journey. Well, I think when we're younger, we have this idea in our head. It's either this way or that way, right? Mm -hmm. It's black or white. And the older you get in the the um, wider your lens is and the more experience you have and the more time that you have like done something that maybe you felt in your heart was the right thing to do. But then later you look back and you think, gosh, I could have handled that a different way. Yes. And you forgive yourself for that, right? You don't go around just mad at yourself every day. I mean, at some point you say, okay, well, that wasn't the right choice, but next time I'll do better. Well, the older you get and the more experiences you have like that, it's easier to see that the world is not black and white. It isn't this way or that way. And if I can make mistakes in my daily life and the way I treat people or the things I say or the things I do or the choices I make, then other people are doing the same thing. And if I'm going to forgive myself, I have to forgive them as well. Yeah. It's such a beautiful realization. And it's also quite freeing because... You know, you start looking at, you know, most people, their intent is good. 
not everybody, but their mm-hmm. intent is good. And you look at the times, you know, I think of the time I've hurt somebody and it was unintentional. And I think you're so right that if we can forgive ourselves, we also, we need to forgive ourselves. Yes. And we need to forgive others too. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's been a big part of my journey is that realization and, and my health journey too. I do think it's played a big role in my, in my health journey. Just that, that thought around forgiveness. I, I don't know. It's very interesting to me. Well, yeah. I mean, it, that, I think that just comes down to growth again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of interesting because I don't know. Intermittent fasting gave me this huge mind shift. Um, so when I found intermittent fasting, I had been doing, I mean, let's see, I've been doing Weight Watchers at that point for like 28 years, probably um, off and on, more on than off. Um, I'd actually worked as a, a leader, a meeting leader. Um, before I moved uh, to Alabama in 2014. And um, then I moved to Alabama and um, I live quite rural. I live over an hour from um, the city where I work. Suddenly I was commuting a lot. I was in the car a lot. I was working long hours. I was doing long commutes uh, with with parking and everything at the hospital. I would have to allow like an hour and a half to get to work and an hour and a half to get home. And working, you know, 10-hour days, 12-hour days. And suddenly, I was able to manage my weight with Weight Watchers fairly well until I moved here. But what I didn't realize is that my whole life revolved around how much I could work out in one day. I would literally, like, get off work in the morning and go for a couple-mile walk with my dogs. And then I would go home and sleep. And then I would get up and I would rebound before I went to work at the hospital. And then on my days off, I would get up and I'd walk my dogs. And then later that afternoon, I'd walk my dogs. And then my son and I would like go ride our bikes or walk up to get dinner. And I walked or rode a bike everywhere. And once I moved to Alabama, number one, when you live rurally like I live, there are no sidewalks. There are no walking trails. And you certainly don't ride your bike on windy backcountry roads unless you want to risk your life. So the bike got locked up. I was no longer walking anywhere. I had to drive everywhere. And all of a sudden, I just started packing on weight. And I was doing my Weight Watchers points. And I started counting macros. And then I was pretty soon doing points and macros and calories. And the weight was still just, I mean, piling on. And then I got married after I moved here um, in 2015. And I got my wedding pictures back and I was so ashamed of how I looked in them that I've never had one picture printed. And it set me on this quest. I was like, you know, I don't think calorie counting is working. And I don't know that it comes down to macros because this isn't working. And I know I can't work out for hours a day and walk 15 miles like I've been doing. So what can I do? And that is when I started doing some research and I read about intermittent fasting. Now, I'm not, maybe I am and I don't know it. But prior to that, I would never say that I'd ever just put like my full faith into something. I'm very much a, I need the facts. I need the details. Prove it. That's me, right? Mm -hmm. But to just blindly accept something and say, this is it. I've never done that before. But I found fasting 
And I said, this is it. This is what I'm doing. And there is, this has to be the answer because there's no other answer. And once I did that and I started fasting and the weight started coming off and I got back down to my goal weight, suddenly I was not spending every day thinking about food, hunger, points, calories, macros, how much I could work out, like all that time and energy that I had spent years and years and years of my life on was suddenly like mine again. And then it was like, what do I do with all this time and energy and brain power? And I like to say that fasting clears the noise because that for me, there's no noise. Now, I do see a lot of fasters who are still wanting to read like everything they can get their hands on and they want all the latest data and they're wanting to follow this program and follow that program and try this and try that. And I do do some dabbling and experimentation. I did Zoe. I have used a Biosense, a, a ketone meter. Um, you know, I do use, I have played with various tools, but it to me, that's just like a fun experiment. It's just like, what can I get my body to do? I've done eating for your DNA of like, I have tried different things just to play, but that's more the scientist in me wanting to wanting to play. But other than that, I just, I just fast. And then it's like this whole other world opened up to me. And I really started working on a lot of emotional healing, a gratitude practice. And um, I just can't even tell you like that one decision to intermittent fast, it helped me with my weight problem, but it improved my life in just so many countless ways that I never, ever expected. How many people out there are struggling with the noise and struggling with having that that feeling of there's just not room? And I always love to compare fasting that I thought it would you know kind of take up more room in my life. And what it what you're explaining to me is that fasting made room in your life. It absolutely, made room. It absolutely. And yes. then it set you on this this journey to heal in other ways. And it's almost, do you ever tell your story and does someone say, oh, whatever, fasting did that? Do you ever, do you ever run into that? Or do you ever, do you ever sometimes even tell yourself that? Like, I can't believe it was this one kind of pivotal thing that did this. I mean, in a way it's sort of mind blowing, but I think uh, fasting gives you this other awareness too, right? So not only did I, was I no longer focused on, you know, the exercise and the eating and the food planning and the food prep and the, all this stuff, right? It was a pivotal shift in how I, okay, I always thought my body was flawed, right? I hated my body. It was flawed. Why couldn't it be normal? Why couldn't I just eat like a normal person, right? And why can't I go shopping and put on a pair of jeans and it just fits me like other people? So I've always felt flawed. And suddenly I realized my body wasn't flawed. I was not caring for it appropriately. Suddenly it's like, I realized I used to like, I used to go get my nails done. I used to, every time I'd go out, go buy a new outfit because then people would be looking at my outfit, not my body. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if my nails look pretty, people maybe wouldn't be looking at me. I... I don't go get my nails done anymore. I don't really care. I haven't had a pedicure in a year. If you don't like my feet, don't look at them. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> so not only did it like clear up like that noise in my head and that time that I could be using and that energy I could be using to focus on like better things in life, it actually clears up real time in your day. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it just shifts your priorities so drastically and things that mattered a great deal to you before suddenly never, they don't matter anymore. It, it simplifies everything in your life. And I know to a person who maybe is not intermittent fasting, they an intermittent faster, like maybe they think that is crazy to say that. But I, I truly believe that. Your story is unique, but your testimony in that regard is not. And we continue to hear that over and over about how people in different ways healed. And some people, you know, they healed eating disorders, body image issues, things that you wouldn't think fasting would heal. In fact, some people would say, oh, it's going to make it worse. And yet time and time again, I have guests on this show that share their journey of healing. And a lot of it did start with fasting. And it's just an amazing thing. So to get to get a little specific, and then we'll go back to kind of your journey, what does and what did your fasting journey look like? You know, you were doing Weight Watchers, you were counting calories, you were counting macros. What, what did your fasting journey look like? You know, you've been a faster, you said about six years. Uh-huh. Is that right? Yep. And then what does it kind of look like today? Um, I started with 16-8. The first book I ever read on fasting was The 8-Hour Diet. I did that probably for about a year and a half. I did 16-8. And I did sort of like a mini meal to open. It would be like, you know, like a low-carb wrap with some eggs and cheese in it. And that would be like my first meal. So I feel like in a way, it took me a while to get out of that sort of diety eating Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people say 16-8 doesn't work for me. Well, I mean, 16-8 worked for me, but only because I was probably dieting in my 16-8, to be honest. You know, I would eat pizza, but it would be once a week. I'd be like, okay, I mean, I love pizza. Pizza's life. So <laughs> <laughs> I could eat pizza all day, every day. What's on your pizza, Sherry? Oh, it depends. Whatever. You can give me barbecue chicken bacon pizza, <laughs> throw some jalapenos on it. I'm really happy. Or, I mean, you just I, talk my love language. If jalapenos are on anything, oh, I love jalapenos. <laughs> you can give me a bowl of jalapenos and I'll dig in. <laughs> me too. I'm I had these you. fabulous red jalapenos on some nachos the other day, and I don't know where they came from, but they were the most amazing jalapenos I've ever eaten. And I was like, I don't even need the nachos, just give me all those jalapenos. <laughs> <laughs> See, I knew we could be friends, Terry. I knew it. I knew it. So, um, yeah. Or give me all the meat or give me all the veggies. I don't even care. Throw some feta cheese on there and I'm in heaven. I just, what? Pizza is the perfect food. Anyway, but I was like, I'd be like, okay, once a week I can have pizza. But other than that, I was eating very clean, very, you know, lots of lean protein, veggies, some low carb tortilla wraps, some yogurt, you know. So, but then I was having Diet Dr. Pepper all day long. I was having um, cream in my coffee. I started to have a little weight regain and I thought, well, this isn't right. I'm eating my window. I'm not overeating. 
I, why am I having some weight regain? And I started doing a little bit more research because I literally researched nothing. I just went, this is what I'm doing. That's what I did. And I never thought about it again. So I started doing a little research, found the Fast Five with Dr. Herring, and then I found Delay Don't Deny with Jim Stevens. And um, I learned all about the clean fasts, and I said, that's ridiculous. There's no way that matters. And I left the Delay Don't Deny group. And <laughs> I still love that story <laughs> so much. <laughs> Went about my business, and then like a month later, I was in some other fasting group, and they were like hardcore dieting in this group. And I wasn't, I wasn't on board with that. I was like, you know... I don't feel like that's sustainable. And then somebody in that group started talking about clean fasting and not having anything during your fast so you don't have an insulin response. And I was like, hmm. And the the scientist in me started pulling up case studies and research. And I was like, huh, there might be something to this. So I rejoined Delay Don't Deny, started clean fasting, and I switched to a five-hour window. And that very quickly turned into a one meal a day eating style. And it's funny, um, you know, when I started fasting, I immediately gained eight pounds. So I went from being at my highest like adult weight outside of pregnancy to starting fasting and gaining eight pounds. And most people are like, why did you keep fasting? (laughs) But I told you, I put all my faith into this. I was like, this has to work. So I just kept weighing every day and I just kept waiting. And then it wasn't until week seven that all of a sudden every day the weight would come down just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So when I switched to clean fasting and I went to a five-hour window, suddenly I gained eight pounds and I'm like, nope, this is it. This is what I'm doing. And so I just hung in there and it came off as well as five more pounds. So that was kind of it after that. And then that is where I met Jen Stevens. And that's where our great friendship was born from. And that's where our podcast Life Lessons came from. And um, the rest is kind of history. But yeah, Jen loves that story too. I love that story so much. I laugh every time it makes me like do a visceral, like deep laugh because I'm, I just could see you doing that and be like, ah, what is, whatever. I do not need to do this clean fasting crap. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm back. And now you're like BFFs with Jin, have a podcast with Jin. It's just, it's too good. So I have a couple questions on your when you first started fasting and you're doing the 16-8, which for most of my listeners, they know what that is. But if you don't, that means she was fasting for 16 hours and had an eight-hour eating window. So that would be if, like if someone had a window from 11 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock at night. And then on the hours before and after that, you are not eating. When you gained eight pounds... And we do find that some people, in when they first start fasting, they actually gain weight. What do you find as someone who's I deem as an expert in many ways and has helped a lot of people? And why do you think you gained eight pounds? Uh, I think I think it's a combination of things. Um, one, I think my BMR was wasted. Like I had killed my metabolic rate through over-restriction and over-exercise for many, many, many years. So I think uh, it took some time for that to fix itself. So I think there's that because when I started fasting, I stopped tracking anything, right? I just ate. And somehow after years of dieting, I don't know, somehow I started to eat very intuitively. 
Um, and I think I was eating more than I had been eating. I was just eating it in a shorter period of time. So I would open my window right before I clocked in at 1045 in the morning. I would get to work and I would eat something because I was really terrified of going into a 12-hour workday and not eating again. Like not knowing. When you walk in the hospital, you don't know like <laughs> when you're going to get a break. So I would get to work. I'd make myself a little breakfast and I would eat it and I'd clock in and go to work. And then I would have a little snack, maybe about three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I would, I would, I was very firm. I was like, I have to, because we kind of do a, a scheduled lunch break thing where it's on a schedule for our whole department. So everybody knows when they're supposed to go. Right. And you have coverage. I was like, I have to go to lunch at 530 <laughs> because I have to have my window closed by 630. And so I, we had a 45 minute lunch break. So I would go to lunch at 530 and that's when I would eat my dinner and I would close my window then. But I think fasting is a stress on the body. It's new. You're putting your body through a new stress. Um, I am very, very stress sensitive. My weight is very stress sensitive. I, any period of stress in my life, my weight will automatically go up five or six pounds before it comes back down again. I have to really focus on stress management. So I think it was stress. It was, I was probably a little compensatory overeating at the beginning. And um, I think my BMR came into play. What do you want to tell that person who maybe has been hearing about intermittent fasting? They finally are trying it and they're seeing the first few weeks, they're seeing the scale go up. What do you want to tell that person? Uh, I want to tell this person, number one, day one, weigh yourself, take your measurements and take pictures. It's so important. Take pictures. People are like, I don't want to see myself. Great. Don't look at them. Put them in a folder, a secret folder in your phone. Email them to yourself. I don't care what you do with them. Put them away and don't look at them again. But at some point in your journey, you are going to want comparison photos. And if you don't do it, you're going to be really mad at yourself because yes. you, at some point, you want those photos. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me on this. I've talked to thousands of people and I've talked to hundreds of people who haven't done it and they always say the same thing. I wish I would have taken beginning pictures. You don't ever have to show them to another soul, but you want them and you need them because at some point you're going to think this is not working mm -hmm. because the scale may not be doing what you think it should be doing. But if you pull out those pictures, you can tell a difference and that is the motivation you need sometimes. So take right. pictures and then don't ever step on a scale again. I mean, give it a month, give it six weeks even before you get on a scale again. And when you do get on that scale again, go into it mentally with, I need, to, I want to weigh what I weighed when I started, right? Uh -huh. Don't even expect weight loss. Don't even look at it because what you're doing, your whole first month, six weeks, eight weeks, your body is, it's trying to get metabolically adapted to fasting, right? You're trying to burn through your glycogen. You're trying to teach your body to access your fat stores, but that takes weeks. And depending on your metabolic health, your, you know, level of your fatty deliver or, you know, your insulin resistance or whatever, that is going to affect how long that takes to happen. Your, your exercise, your, I mean, 
what you eat. All of that comes into play. And there's no like, it takes 21 days. No, it could take somebody eight weeks. Um, It could take somebody two weeks. It just depends on each person. So all you're doing there in a habit, you're building the habit of fasting. You want to get till you wake up every day and you're no longer thinking, oh, I want breakfast or <laughs> whatever, you know, like you, it's just, that's what you do. And, and I, I say, you know, you're a faster when you wake up one day and you suddenly identify as a faster. It's no longer, I have to fast today. It's no longer, um, you know, I'm trying this intermittent fasting. The first time you if you think or say the words, I'm an intermittent faster, you're there, right? You now identify as that person. Your habit is built. Yeah. And I really want to offer hope that if you think you can't rewire your brain and you can't reset your clock, I, you know, Sherry and I and thousands and thousands of others are testimony that you can, that you can change that, hey, the minute you wake up, you need to eat, that you're ravenous, that you have to have something or you will never survive. Or the, you know, I'm sure on your long nursing shifts, there were prior to becoming an intermittent faster, I bet there were times you felt like I need something now. Like, oh my gosh. I I mean, listen, there, the trauma pager would go off and I'd be like, no, I'm so hungry. I'm going to die. I can't, I can't deal with this right now. I have to eat. And you're like running for the vending machine because you have to get a snack because you don't know now when you're going to eat. Right now I'm just like, oh, okay, no big deal. I'll just wait another hour. Yeah, it's so amazing. And and I just want to encourage those who are newer to fasting that yes, at first it's it's change it's a change for your body and that's what was happening with Sherry is that her body was saying, "Okay, what's going on here? What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And your body just all of a sudden isn't going to be like, "Oh my gosh, now some maybe, but not everybody is going to all of a sudden just the weight's going to melt right off right away and your body's going to go, oh yeah, I'm totally rewired. My, you, Yeah, you were eating six times a day. Uh, I'm totally fine with this. At first, it's going to take a little bit of shifting. And I love that you shared about that because I think some people will start and then they just stop. Because you're like, I'm gaining weight. This, what, this is the worst diet plan ever. This is the worst right. eating plan ever. Right. And, and listen... If you can take the word diet out of your head, (laughs) like, please just take the word diet. This isn't a diet. This is life, right? You are now, you are changing your life and you are doing, this is a gift to yourself, right? So if nothing else, if you're like, I don't know if this will work. I don't know if this will help me reach my weight loss goals, my health goals, six months, Give yourself the gift of six months. Don't don't overthink it. Just settle into this. Believe. I believe in the power of belief, right? Believe that this is your answer. Because if you don't believe this is your answer, you're going to find every reason why it's not your answer. So tell yourself, this is it. This is my answer. This is my answer to health. This is my answer to my, my weight loss goals. Um, 
this is it. And I'm going to give myself the gift of intermittent fasting for six months and get to six months and then reevaluate. And if you really don't feel like this is the life for you, then make an adjustment. But so much is happening in your body in six months. And I just personally don't know a person that could walk away after six months. Yeah. I think that's such good advice. So now, Sherry, at your wedding, you were explaining that, that you know, you hated those photos. You were one of, at one of your heaviest points. Now, fast forward to today, how did your body composition change? How did your size change? And uh, did you eventually lose weight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's see. When I decided to start intermittent fasting, and then that was in the fall of 2015, and then by the spring of 2016, I was down about 35, 36 pounds. Now, I didn't start, I didn't even start to see weight loss until January. And like by mid-April, I was at my normal maintenance weight. And then I, you know, kind of hung out there for a year and then I started to regain a few pounds. And then once I started the clean fasting after I had that initial gain of for a couple of weeks. And again, I think that was just my body getting used to a five hour window instead of an eight hour window. And I think mentally I felt like, oh, I need to cram in more food because I've got a longer fast tomorrow. And I think, again, I was doing some compensatory overeating. And then once I realized like, oh, three extra hours isn't going to make or break me, I settled back into my, you know, listening to my body and eating to satiety. And then it just came back off. I actually weighed less than I did that I had to maintain to be a Weight Watchers leader for the first time in my adult life. And I wasn't counting a thing except for time. Wow. So now I have tweaked my diet. Uh, I do little periods of really tweaking my diet and I can get my weight down another eight. I mean, I've even got it down like another 13 pounds. It's not, um, for me, it's not manageable and it's not something I want to do the rest of my life. Um, because it does take me back into that really focusing on every bite I put in my mouth and, um, you know, reading every single ingredient and looking at, you know, fat grams and protein. And I just don't want to do that. That, that just takes up too much mental energy. And I am a busy, busy person between my career and, um, the life lessons podcast. And then, you know, working, um, in the, uh, online community for intermittent fasters. I, I just don't, I don't want to spend that mental energy doing that. So it's, again, a kind of a mind shift is that I like my body thinner, but I'm okay where I'm at right now. And I mean, to be honest, my husband would like me 10 pounds heavier. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that funny? My husband's always trying to feed me all the time, like more and more. Like, I feel like I always joke that, is it Italians? Manja, manja, like eat meat. And I always am like... It's so funny. My husband's the exact same way. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I've been fasting for a lot of time. And there are times I go get in bed and I'm like, I'm so hungry. And um, it usually is because I didn't make a very good choice in my window. And I'm having some little rebound hunger, maybe a little, you know, drop in blood sugar. And my body's like, 
eat. And I'll lay there. I'll be like, I'm so hungry. And my husband will be like, do you want me to go make you a corn dog? And I'm like, no, it's 1030 <laughs> at night. And I don't want a corn dog. And I'm not breaking my five hour fast for a corn dog. <laughs> and he's like, I just don't want you to go to bed hungry. I said, it'll be fine. I'll wake up in the morning. I won't be hungry. It'll be fine. But yeah, our husbands like to feed us. That's pretty. That's awesome. I, <laughs> I love it. I I do love that you shared, though, too, that if you push through that, that you do wake up like that. That to this day, Sherry, just blows my mind. You know, like sometimes I'll do a mealless Monday. Uh-huh. Some people think I say meatless. I'm saying mealless. Nothing <laughs> a problem if you want to do mealless, but I do mealless with an L Mondays. And it's still to this day, and I've been fasting for years, blows my mind how I can be really hungry at dinner time on Monday, really hungry, and that I push through. I have some hot water or I have, you know, whatever, some decaf green tea, and then I wake up Tuesday morning just totally not hungry. Right. It's totally fine. Not it's even so thinking about it's... food. No. Yeah. Yeah, and I, the other I, thing too, you know, a lot of fasters will say, well, how long am I going to experience hunger? Well, I mean, I have hunger all the time, but it's it's like a comfortable hunger. You notice that you're like a little hungry, right? But it's not like, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. I have to eat hunger. And I mean, like I'm hungry right now. If you put a cheeseburger in front of me, I could eat it. I just looked at my fasting timer. I'm like t- over 21 hours fasted. But it's also like if my house caught on fire right now and I didn't get to eat for eight more hours, I would never think about my hunger again. So it's, it's there. It's like your friend that sits with you, but it's not an urgency. It's not an emergency. Isn't that funny? Cause it does change. There is a different, it's, it's this kind of like what you were saying. It's like kind of a piece with it. Mm-hmm. Like you, and it is a different type of hunger. Like, hey, yeah, and I I love kind of this acceptance that it's okay to have some hunger. Like we, we've been so trained to think that it's not okay, that it's unhealthy. Right. And unfortunately, you know, yes, there are some of you out there that, that may struggle with eating disorders, but you are a very, that is a very small percentage. The majority of us need to be okay with more hunger. We need to be find peace with it. The well, majority of us. we live in a society where, um, I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you do not live in a third world country without right. creature comforts, right? We live in a society where comfort is, a, I mean, if you're hot, you turn down the air conditioning. If you're cold, you light your fireplace. You know, it's like we have heat and air conditioning at our fingertips. The minute you start to feel uncomfortable, you just adjust the temperature. And, you know, if you have a slight headache, you reach for some Tylenol. I mean, so people are programmed that when you feel any bit of discomfort, there is relief for that. Right. And so we've been taught that when you're hungry, you must need to eat. But you don't always need to eat. And over time, that that hunger is no longer an uncomfortable hunger. It's just there, like the hair on my head or, you know, the mole on my face. It's just there. It's just, but it's not important. 
No, it's not. And I, I do think there is a need for us all to find some areas of discomfort to have comfort later. And that's the theory on, you know, why, hey, go for a walk sometime. you know, push yourself out of your comfort zone. And that's why a lot of people are into these uh, cold showers or cold, uh, cold water immersions. It's this theory that we have become so comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so everything's right at our fingertips. You know, for a second, put yourself in the shoes of your great grandparents. I mean, my grandpa, they were, you know, they immigrated here and they were living in, in North Dakota winters with no, you know, electricity. No, I mean, it, it gets, I was looking it up, it gets like negative 40 sometimes oh, yeah. in North Dakota. And they were used to having some uncomfort. And I do think that it's important uh, to know that a little uncomfort is okay mm-hmm. and to find some peace with it. So I love that you shared about that. Sherry, you have this podcast that is just so... It's called Life Lessons, but it's it's life-giving. It's a breath of fresh air as well. Tell us about your podcast. And because I'm sure after this interview, many people are going to be like, I want to hear more of Sherry and all the light that she provides. Tell us about your podcast. Um, well, this is my, um, I don't even know. It's my heart project. <sighs> See, you're going to make me cry again. Bad, stop making me cry. Sorry, sorry. Um, you know, life is hard, but it doesn't have to be as hard, right? I think so many of us are kind of stuck. We don't always know what questions to ask or even maybe know why we're stuck or where we're stuck. You know what I mean? I like to talk about planting seeds, right? So I don't go around telling the whole world that they should be intermittent fasters. But I talk about intermittent fasting. And every time I talk about it, I hope I'm leaving a little seed in somebody's head where at some point they're like, what was that intermittent fasting thing she was talking about? Maybe that would help me, right? I talk about clearing the noise. When I cleared the noise, I suddenly was able to work on all sorts of things. I was no longer spending all my days researching diet and weight loss and this and that, right? And then like all these other things that were interesting to me I started reading about and experimenting with and dabbling with. I don't know if your listeners are familiar with the aura ring. Do you ever talk about the aura ring bet? Yes. Yes. Do you have one? I do not have one. This is so funny that you bring this up, but I have been seriously considering getting one. I, I, I have been thinking about it for a long time, but I still don't have one. So t- share about your aura ring. Well, so I have an aura ring. I love it. Um, I did a bunch of research into it. I had been really researching heart rate variability. And, um, you know, like I've said before, I have, I think, a high stress response. Um, I've lived a very high stress life, chronic stress. I mean, my job is stressful. My life has been stressful. I've really started working a lot more on stress management 
and how that affects your overall health, how it affects sleep. I'm a notoriously bad sleeper. So I went into this deep dive into sleep, started in a bunch of sleep research and like all of that research ended up coming down to, I first got this one thing called a whoop strap. Did not, it was not for me. It's not for the average Joe. It's more for athletes. And I didn't like that you wore it on your wrist. And anyway, sent that back, got the aura ring, love it since day one. It has really helped me learn how to manage stress. It tells me when I need to rest more. It tells me when I need to like work out less and take a rest day. It tells me, I mean, any male listener, I'm sorry, but um, I had an endometrial ablation, so I don't cycle. I don't have a period, right? And I'm 48. I don't know where I am in the whole menopause cycle because I don't have a monthly period. My aura ring tells me when I cycle based off my temperature. So I can totally see like, oh, well, this is why I feel this way this week, right? It's so, it just helps you get so much more in tune with your body and what's happening in your body. Um, I, I can tell when I'm stressed because of my heart rate. I can tell when I'm stressed because of my heart rate variability. Even stress can affect your body temperature. So it's just provided so much information that's helped me fine tune my life. Well, I am always telling Jen Stevens, um, she's one of my dearest friends and, um, thank God I came back to delay, don't deny (laughs) because she's a great friend and we have so much fun together and we love to just bounce things off of each other. And so I'd always be talking to her. I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I read. And we both love to learn. Right. So I'd be like, Oh, I read this great article and I'd send it to her and we'd be at the beach or traveling. And I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I read this book. And I'm telling her all about the book. And we'd be sitting there talking about it. And uh, one day she said, you should have a podcast. And I'm like, what? Nobody wants to hear me talk. And she's like, no, it's fascinating. She's like, you always have the best information and you're so passionate about it. And she said, I think you should have a podcast. And um, I went through this period of self-doubt. My ex-husband used to tell me I had an awful voice. He couldn't stand to hear it. Nobody wanted to hear me talk and to be quiet. Um, and so I had that in my head. I had that story in my head that I have an awful voice and nobody wants to hear me talk and I should be quiet. And I told Jen that I said, I can't have a podcast cause I have an annoying voice. And she said, what? You do not. <laughs> She's not like, what, what are, where is this coming from? And I told her and she was just like, "Ugh, get that out of your head. Stop it. Do not let that stop you. And so, um, she planted that seed and it was about, April, we were at the beach and she told me that. And I kept thinking about it. I kept going over my head and um, I was full of self-doubt. Like, could I do it? Does anybody care? Do I have anything to say anybody wants to listen to? And it just, I kept thinking and thinking. And I talked to my husband and he'd say, my husband's my biggest supporter. He'd say, do it. If you want to do it, do it. And I would say, well, it's really expensive to do a podcast. I don't know if I should do that. And he's like, if it makes you happy, do it. So I called Jen in like September and I said, Hey, I think I'm going to move forward with the podcast. She has two. So I went to pick her brain about it and I was driving to work. So we talked for like an hour and, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to go forward with it. So tell me like, who do you use for your producing and you know, how much does it cost and who, how do you host it through a platform and like asking her all the technical questions, right? Cause I don't know anything. I was like, give me the, how do you, 
produce a podcast for dummies, Cliff Notes. So we're talking and she's asking me, you know, like, well, what's your format going to be? And what are you going to talk about? And yada, yada, yada. And she's like, do you have a co-host? And I said, no, because sometimes I interview people who are experts. And other times I just talk about a, a topic that I've researched that I want to share. And she said, well, do you have a co-host? And I said, no, I haven't decided what to do with that. Um, I don't know if I'll have guest co-hosts, but I haven't gotten that far. And I really was, I, I had no idea, right? I'm like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. But I wasn't asking Jen because she's got two podcasts. She was writing a book and I'm like, I can't ask her. And so I, and I don't like to ask for help. So, <laughs> right. so I was just like, yeah, I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. And I got to work. I'm like, well, I'm at work. I got to go. She's like, okay. So about three or four minutes later, I hadn't even clocked in. She said, she called me and I said, what's up? And she said, can I be your co-host? I said, what? She said, I don't know. I just got off the phone and she said, I love your idea for the podcast. I think it's amazing. Can I be your co-host? And of course, I'm not going to say no, Jen Stevens, you cannot be my co-host. I mean, so I'm like, uh, yes, I, of course you can. So in Jen and Sherry fashion, when we say we're going to do something, we do it, right? Like uh, we built an entire website in five days that this company told us would take six weeks. So <laughs> we, I love it. we like, okay, well, like next week, let's go to the beach and let's hammer this out. So we went to the beach for four days. And by the end of the four days, we had the name, we had a website, we had a Facebook community, um, we had our logo, like we had it all done. We were ready to go. And uh, we released our first episode last December. We are actually next week going to record episode 52. And it has just been an amazing ride. We talk about everything. Literally, there's not a topic under the sun we can't talk about. Sleep, uh, whole body vibration therapy, fear of the unknown, habit formation. But then we also just have fun topics like uh, we go to our community and we pull them. We ask them for suggestions like, what is your favorite like little known movie that really left a lasting impact on you that you think about today? And these people came up with all these great movies that like so many people had never heard of before. Uh, we just recorded our holiday episode where people shared their favorite like holiday season hacks to make the holiday seasons less stressful. Literally, my goal in life is I say I want to live my best life, right? But I want to help other people live their best life. And to me, that means like we eat well, we sleep well, we are um, well-rounded. Um, one of my favorite episodes that we did, we interviewed somebody on a, from a domestic um, violence education not-for-profit. Uh, we interviewed a lady who goes out into the streets and helps um, provide for people that are unsheltered. We talked to a wonderful therapist about codependency. And um, guess what? My whole life, I thought I was not codependent because I'm independent, but <laughs> definitely codependent. And I have, I'm, I'd say I'm recovering. That's something I've worked on over the last seven or eight years. And then she came back and she did a wonderful episode on personal boundaries. And I don't know a person out there who does not struggle with personal boundaries because you're, totally. you're taught your whole life that you should be accommodating and helpful and right. But that's not what's always best for you. And sometimes we need help figuring out where we need to put personal boundaries up. She, Mary gave a great um, analogy in that podcast. And she said, you know, personal boundaries are not to keep people out, but they're to keep 
like th- so she says like a like you have horses right and you put mm-hmm. up a fence around them you're not keeping people from coming into the fence right because they can do that you're keeping your horses from getting out so it's about protecting you not like cutting off other people does that make sense yes makes complete sense and the way she said that i was like yeah that's exactly what it is so you're not you're not when you put up a boundary you're not doing something to somebody you're doing something for you. In an effort to accommodate everyone, we leave out the people that really we need to be there, there for. for. Absolutely. Yes. yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, like you can tell from some of the topics I've, I've gone over, we really talk about anything, anything that can just help people overcome struggle or live better or live more free or be um, more accepting of themselves or... I love it. Um, We have a great community. Honestly, my favorite thing in the world is, well, one, I love to read the positive reviews that people leave, but I love it when a person emails me and tells me like, I listened to today's episode and it really hit home and it really helped me and whatever. That's it. That's what I do it for. I just want to help people. I love that. And I think that's what you're doing. And Jen and Sherry were so kind and let me be on the show. It was wonderful. It was so fun. Gosh, that was a good time. I can see why you and Jen just have such a good time, but also give such value to your listeners. It was such an honor to to be a guest. And, and I just felt like we were just there sitting on the beach having a good time and talking about real things to, that could help other people. Well, and that is that was my vision for the show all along. I told Jen, I said, I want it to be like, I said, you know how you and I sit at the beach, we have these great conversations. I said, I want the podcast to be like if somebody was sitting there with us having that conversation or if somebody was sitting at Starbucks having a coffee with us, that would be the conversation we would be having. Well, this has been a complete delight. I love hearing about your journey and learning so many little pearls of wisdom along the way. And I love to end the interview with asking the guest kind of their final piece of bold advice. And it doesn't have to be intermittent fasting related. It can be. It doesn't have to be health related. It can be. But what's What's that pearl of wisdom you'd like to leave the listeners with today? Can I give you my two life mottos? Yes, I'd love that. Okay. The first one is be as you are. And that just means live authentically. The minute you feel like you need to hide a part of yourself or um, you feel ashamed of part of yourself, you are not living authentically. Be as you are. Put it out there. I mean, just, and for me, if I start to feel like, oh, I can't say that or I can't feel that or I can't tell somebody that, that's when it's time to share that. Like, I have to force myself to do it, right? Because it's in my head. It's in my heart. I want to say it. So if I didn't, I wouldn't be living authentically. Second is live out loud. Like, don't ever feel like you have to shrink or you have to be less than to make somebody else feel more than. Just, I mean, they go together. Don't hide. Don't quiet your voice. Don't feel like you can't have a say. Don't, you know, don't not wear the 
the outfit you want to wear out because you think somebody's going to be like, oh, why is she wearing that? If you want to wear that outfit, put that on and go. Like live out loud. That's it. I just think the more we can own who we were uniquely called to be, the more we do it, the more it can help others do exactly, exactly the same. And that's what we're talking about is planting that seed of saying, you know what, you living more authentically doesn't help me be more like Sherry. It helps me just say, oh, I want to do that too. I want to live my, and that's what why I talk about living your big, bold life. It, it's not to make us all live the same life. It's just, I so believe that the more we can all be who we were called to be and be who we are authentically, the more we can help and inspire others. I believe it with every thread of my being. Absolutely. And in, I think in order to do that, number one, you have to put down that need for everybody to like you. You because you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I'm sure people turn on our podcast and think, I do not want to listen to these ladies talk. They want information. They want data. They don't want to listen to Jen and I throw in a story about our personal life that just happened. But that's who we are. And that's what we're going to do. And we would be awkward and weird if we <laughs> if we just weren't ourselves on our podcast. So that's fine. You don't have to like me. You can think I'm crazy. I don't really care because you know what? Somebody else down the road likes me and they get value from me being in their life. And um, it, and that's a freedom um, when, you, when you stop caring what other people think and you stop worrying about whether or not somebody likes me. Uh, if you don't like me, I'm sorry, but. It was never about you, though. And that's that's where if people can realize and take steps each and every day that when someone criticizes you, when someone doesn't like you, the majority of the time, the majority of the time, it's something to do with them, not you. Mm -hmm. And it is a very freeing thing. And I do believe that it's a part of our job in our life and our journey is to become more and more at peace with the fact that exactly what you said, not everyone's going to like us. Not everyone's going to get us. Not everyone's going to understand us. And you know what? The more you can say that's okay. And that maybe in an effort to try to please all these people that weren't going to like you or understand you or get you in the first place, you're leaving behind those that actually need you that actually are ready to be kind of lit up by you and your own light. And I think for so long, we spend all this time trying to cater and, and, and accommodate who we are to those that are critics and we're never, ever going to like us anyways, or we're never going to understand us. And, and yet there's these people out there that guess what? They need you as you are, and they are listening and seeing and soaking it up, even if they never say it, because the critics are the, the loud ones. Right. But guess what? 
There are, there are fans of each and every one of you out there. And the more you can live authentically, you are helping them whether you realize it or not. And I think that's being bold is stepping into that and saying, you know what? I'm not living for the critics anymore. I'm not. I'm not going to live for my insecurities anymore and the fear of what they may think of me. I am living for who I am called to be. And I believe that so, so beautifully. You know, I, I love sharing about, and I think I shared this story on your podcast. I think I did. That scene in Runaway Bride. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Where the eggs, and she doesn't know what kind of eggs she likes because she was just accommodating herself to whatever everybody else liked. Right. All, you know, all her husbands had, and boyfriends had different types of eggs. And the epiphany moment for her and the moment was she finally said, no, I need to know who I am and what kind of eggs I like. And then all of a sudden, guess what? She was able to step into and finally hear who she was. And she was able to drown out that noise that it's exactly what you talked about. Well, and I would like to think that living authentically and giving up the fear of whether or not people like you and just being true to yourself and living out loud that, you know, like attracts like, right? So when I'm living that way, other people who are living that way will be attracted to me, right? And maybe, or maybe they want to live that way. And so they're attracted to that quality in me, which gives them permission now to maybe start to live their life more authentically, right? And then it's just the trickle-down effect. It spreads. So if, if me living authentically makes you uncomfortable, and I can tell you right now, makes my mother very uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, then, and, and I had to just realize, you know, because I was a people pleaser for many, many years and everything I did was to please my mother. And um, I had to give that up. And there is a freedom in, in giving that up. There is a freedom in saying it is not my job to make you comfortable or happy or, you know, uh, live life on your terms. My job is to live my best life. You, you're free to live your life however you choose to, but this is how I'm going to live my life. Yes. That's a freedom. Amen. I just thank you so much for sharing those two mottos with us. And I know I'm going to just kind of sit and soak those up today and really make sure that I'm living out loud and being who I am. And I just really appreciate your time with us. And thank you, Sherry. This has been amazing. Well, thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.